Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. Uh, I have a special guest today. Uh, it's been a little while since we've had a recording, um, about a month since the last episode, but I have a really special guest, uh, Harold Little, uh, father of um, NBA player Nazir Little. Um, pretty pretty massive guest today, uh, and I'm pretty honoured to, to to bring Harold, Harold in. Uh, raised a really fine young man who um, is now, you know, playing in the NBA with a, a privilege that only four or 500 guys a year um, get to experience. Harold, how are you doing today? I'm doing fairly well. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. How are no you? Worries. It's, um, I, I, th- I think when down here in New Zealand, you know, we've only ever had three, three NBA players and one female, uh, one WNBA player. And um, there's just something about, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty special honor and, and just something about people get to make it to the NBA and, um, and yes, to have, to have you on is a real pleasure. I'm just going to rip right in. Um, first tell us about yourself, Harold, uh, where you're, where you're from and tell me about your love for the game of basketball. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina and my family is, um, pretty much along the, Eastern Seaboard, um, Eastern Seaboard of the United States from North Carolina up to Maryland. And then in my generation, we kind of sort of spread around a little bit. So we're kind of all over the country a little bit. Um, my love for basketball came relatively early. I think being in North Carolina, um, being such a, I don't know, a basketball crazy state, when you have in a certain triangle, you have Duke, North Carolina, and NC State. And not to mention, this is only in the ACC, not to mention um, Wake Forest, you know, and then relatively close Clemson and stuff like that. So it's a very basketball loving area, kind of akin to like people would think Indiana is. So um, I was kind of indoctrinated into the culture of UNC basketball at a very early age. Um, my parents both loved Carolina and then uh you know, then a smattering of Duke fans in the family, <laughs> some, <laughs> NC <State laughs> some NC State fans in the family as well. But um, it mostly came from, from you know, just from my family kind of indoctrinating us into not necessarily basketball culture, but just an interest in basketball itself and sports in general. Um, from there, going into high school, uh, playing basketball, and then beyond high school, playing with my time in the military and just every year kind of growing and loving the sport, you know. So, you know, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly when, but generally I was kind of just brought into it and it's all I've ever really known. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of of uh, Nazir's resume. Um, okay. Five-star recruit. Um, number three recruit in his class or number two on, on some uh, recruiting sites. Um, McDonald's All-American, McDonald's All-American game MVP, uh, selected to Jordan Brand Classic, where he was also MVP, and then obviously ended up going to the University of North Carolina, which obviously must have been massive for you guys. Um, tell us a bit about... That, that's an amazing resume. Tell us a bit about Nazir himself and and how the early part of his journey journey began where obviously kids at the, at the age of 8, 10, and 12 say, Dad, I want to play in the NBA. And, and you always, you know, you love your kids and you support them and you want, you want them to achieve their dreams. But it takes a special kind to have that drive. And like you said before we, we started recording, to have that internal drive and that to be built that way. Tell me about what he was like as a young man and, and how he progressed through his teens. Oh, absolutely. Um, for Nasir, just speaking with, with basketball, his journey with basketball was a bit more delayed than his peers that were in his class. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we we were a military family. My wife and I both served um, in the United States Navy. Um, as a matter of fact, both of us are retired Navy. Um, and that being the case, we moved around a lot you know, from in Nasir's early years of living. Um, as a kid, Nasir, he was always very dogged in everything that he did um, when it came to academics, when it came to music, when it came to sports in general, he was just very hyper-focused. And even some things where, where he wasn't doing any action, if it was something where he had to, 
you know, like get himself ready for school, feed himself, or he was being fed. He was really focused on things being a certain way. And he took that approach to every single thing that he did. Yeah. Um, For Nasir, he, um, and I'm not trying to patronize you in any way, but for Nasir, he was more of a footballer than he was a basketball player. And I'm not talking American football. I'm talking soccer. Got you. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was a, he was a pretty kick-ass soccer player. And, uh, and, you know, especially in the last place that we lived before he started playing basketball, we lived in, in England. And we lived in, in a in a town called Harrogate, um, close, which is close to Leeds in um, North Yorkshire. So yes. he was exposed to a lot of football, up, uh, excuse me, international football up there, yeah. and yeah. and playing with his friends and stuff there. So he was he was really really good. And um, when we moved back to the states, he um, he was twelve, about to turn thirteen when we moved back to the States and he got to the middle school in the community in which we live. And the coach saw him a brand new student. And it's like, Oh my God, that kid is six one, you know, yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> can we get this kid to play basketball? So he stopped <laughs> Nasir in the hall and said, Hey, uh, do you play basketball? And, and Nasir had played like some, yeah. Why, you know, YMCA ball, you know, as an eight year old on a, on a you know, a, a team where people weren't very, very skilled at all. They really didn't know the game. And Nasser was like, eh, I've played before, but I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a basketball player. And the coach said, well, it's halfway through the school year. So when you come back as a seventh grader, I think you should, you know, look into, <laughs> you know, probably playing basketball (laughs) so so Nasir came home and he asked me and my wife he said hey mom dad do you guys mind if I play basketball you know next he's like go go for it man you know have at it so um he said well I'm gonna I'm gonna work on it over the summer because he didn't really understand the game or know anything about the game so he jumped on the computer and started watching YouTube how to play basketball, you know, <laughs> learning the basics of basketball. Yeah. And then in our community, there is a, a big athletic center here. So he would ride his bike up to the, to the um, athletic center during the summer mm-hmm. and go into the gym and just work on basketball stuff wow. from about nine o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Damn. All day. <laughs> That's crazy. And then, <laughs> and then he would come home. And after being at the gym all day and then working through the summer. And then when school started, uh, it's the one of the winter sports. So after football, which he didn't play. So then basketball season starts. And he went out for the basketball team, made the team um, and pretty much rode the bench, you know, as a, as a seventh grader. Yeah. Um, and then with four games, what was it four games left in the season? the star player of the team broke his ankle and this kid was really really good this kid was eighth he was an eighth grader really really good player named jonathan bryant and um and jonathan broke his ankle and then it was like hey nasir we need you nasir came for the last four games games of the season wasn't really a score but he was a defensive presence because he was just so much bigger than the other middle schoolers yeah. So blocking shots and all that good stuff like that. His team made it to the championship game or the playoffs or something like that. And they played the eventual champions of the of the middle school league here in Clay County. And in the game, Nasir had like, he only scored like 10 points, but he had like 13 rebounds and eight block shots. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And not really understanding the game. Yeah. So then then he started playing summer ball and all that good stuff. So when he came back to school the next year, he was, I mean, he was exponentially better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, And he was like the best player in the county. Wow. You know, (laughs) averaging like 18 points, 11 rebounds, five block shots. (laughs) Team went undefeated. Wow! Won the champion, won the championship, and he was the MVP of the county, and all that good stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then he goes into um, his freshman year of high school, and he was the first freshman to start at his high school um, when he got to high school. And that's how much he had improved from year to year. Yeah. And he had he had a, a monstrous freshman season, averaged like 12 or 13 points, seven rebounds, you know, as a freshman yeah. with a senior heavy team with yeah. some really good players. Like they had a guy on the team named um, Kevin Thomas Griffin, who was um, who was really, really good, who went on to play college ball um, in Georgia and West Virginia. And and, you know, Nasser came back his sophomore year. And boom, he was averaging 16 points, eight rebounds, you know, and that's and that's the point where he started getting very, very serious about basketball. Yeah. He had played one year of Pop Warner football, and then he played Little League baseball and trying to find his niche in these sports and stuff like that. But when he started playing basketball, he he not only found that the teams that he was on were successful but he himself was individually successful. Mm. And then, you know, you, we started seeing flashes of talent, you know, here and there and what he was able to do and how he, when the off season came, how he would improve from the previous season and through the summer and coming back into the subsequent year. Yeah. Now, after that, um, he got with the, um, and during that whole time frame, he got with the, um, Showtime Hoops, one family basketball organization, and working with his tra- the guy who is his trainer now, named Daryl Harden, who worked with him on fundamentals, on his shooting, his dribbling, all the good stuff like that, which helped propel him to certain levels in the high school rankings here in the states. Um, and then after that, man, he just he just was in the right place at the right times, yeah. around the right people. And, 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 you know, and he was just like getting noticed for how every time a scout saw him, he would improve on how he was the last time. And we had a couple of high level scouts say to him and to his trainer say, man, every time I see him, he adds something to his game, you know, and when all of that started happening, everything that comes with it happened simultaneously so it was just all one big pot and it just all started happening together (laughs) yeah that's that's amazing and i think the when when teams be it recruiting for for top high schools or or top colleges the nba um that work ethic is is so important like you can't you can't teach people that are willing to grow and continue adding to their game um and and yeah he's that that work ethic has been yeah, it's a testament to his game and to where he is now. Um, yeah, yeah. Talking you. about recruitment, um, as things got more serious with the recruitment in terms of um, of looking at schools, um, is it? Tell us a bit about that, and then is there any advice you would give to parents? Now, I I quickly jumped on his twenty four seven recruiting, and I didn't realize how he obviously had a lot of offers. Now that on its yeah. own. As a, it was thirty something. That on its own is obviously a process to manage. But what advice would you give to parents? And then just touch a bit on his recruitment because it was obviously, you know, a dream for for people in your family. And, you know, for him to go to the University of North Carolina. But there's so that worked out really well. But obviously, it's a it's a process on its own. Can you just touch on that as well? Uh, absolutely. And we'll start. I kind of start at the beginning of everything. And how it built to where it was, and then I'll go into any advice if I have any for parents who yeah. might find themselves in the same situation. So for Nasir, his recruit his recruitment started like again it started later, as it did with um you know with some of his peers in his class, right? So for Nasir, he didn't get his first offer, his first official offer until his sophomore year of high school. And the first offer that he received was from um, Stetson, which is um, a college, a private college um, that's outside of Orlando in, um, I want to say, Deltona, Florida. That's what I want to say. It's in Deltona. 
So that was his first offer. And I can't remember the, who was the coach at the time. But anyway, he, he went to a, a summer a summer league game for all the high schools that were tuning up for the upcoming season for the next school year. And he went there and man, he put on a clinic <laughs> for how well he played. Yeah. And the coach came and the coach came up to me and his high school coach. And he didn't know I was not serious dad, but he was just like, who, who is this kid? Number 42. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's not sure little. And they were, and the coach was like, man, um, who you know? What offers does this kid have? Yeah. And we were like, he doesn't have any. <laughs> and the coach was like, well, that changes today because I'm officially offering this kid yeah. a scholarship to Stetson University. And so that was his first offer, and that's how things started. So when that got back to him, he was just like, I'm going to just keep it going. Yeah. And from there, he started getting offers here in state. Um, yeah. I think Florida State, I think Florida, I want to say Florida State was the next one that followed. So he went from Stetson, which is yeah. a low major D1, then to Florida State, then Florida followed suit. Yeah. Um, his first out-of-state offer was George Washington, um, yeah. up in, obviously up in D.C. And, yeah. um, and then it just grew from there. And when the summer hit from his sophomore year, they um, – he was he played on um, the under I want to say the Under Armour circuit, I think this around the time frame. But he just was blowing up because he was playing up in an age group or two, and uh -huh. he was just he was just you couldn't deny how good he was. Yeah. You know, being such, being a fifteen year old playing with seventeen year olds, and yes. um, and that's when you know he started getting Syracuse, Illinois. Mississippi State, so on and so forth. So he started getting all these offers and stuff like that. Just started yeah. building, building, building. Yeah. So um, in the states here, um, the summer following your sophomore year is when you can start getting official communications from schools. Yeah. So that's when coaches started calling. You start getting all the stuff in the mail, and you know everywhere you <laughs> go, coaches want to get your attention, all that good stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So now here comes the the management part that you talked about. Yeah. So now, not only do you have to manage the contact and people contacting Nasir, but you also have to manage people contacting the parents as well, because everybody wants to talk to the parents, to, to, you know, to yeah. show, hey, we're the place for your son. You know, it's a family environment here, and it's all about family here. And the, the, the main tagline that you'll hear from yeah. almost every major program is like, it's not a four-year, it's not a four-year commitment. It's a 40-year commitment because <laughs> it extends, <laughs> it extends it well beyond <laughs> it extends well beyond, you know, well beyond the four years that you're at University X, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, then you got to deal with all that, then doing unofficial visits, because everybody wants to get you on the campus. Yeah. But it's at your but it's at your own expense. So you have to determine, okay, where can I go? When can I go? And do I really want to go? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for us, that part of it was easy to manage, especially for the Florida schools, because we could visit them re relatively easily. We are, we're an hour from Gainesville to the University of Florida. You know, we're two hours east of Tallahassee for Florida State. We're five hours north of Miami, you know. Stetson yeah. is an hour and a half away. You know, UCF is yeah. two hours away. So all the stuff in state is easy to manage. It's very good. But then when you start going out of state, it becomes harder to manage because it becomes more expensive because you have to do, you know, the travel, staying, eating, all that stuff. But everybody wants you to come to their campus regardless. Yeah. You know, I think the furthest, the farthest visit that we took was up to St. John's up in New York, you know what I'm saying? Going to Queens, yeah. you know, but we went to Georgia Tech more than once, um, went to Louisville, you know. Yeah. Um, so th that's part of managing it. Um, then, then after that, it becomes, you just, it, it becomes a process of elimination. Yeah. You pretty much know where you're not going to go. You, yeah. you, does that make sense? Yes, yes. You, you can yeah. knock, so, knock off the list right away. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there, there are schools that, you know, you just, I'm not going to go there for whatever reason, you know, I just, I just don't want to go there. Yeah. But then when you get down to like, maybe like for Nasir, I think it got down to like for him, 12 to 17 schools that he had and he had an intense interest in. Yeah. And then start, you start looking for things to disqualify teams, okay. you, you know, and I don't mean disqualify in a bad way as in like, oh, they were egregious and breaking rules. Not, not like yeah. that. But yeah. just something that stands out about that school to make you say, oh, I don't think this is the program for me, yes. you know, and then you so you can eliminate them and you just keep doing that over a time frame based on the time that you have, yeah. you know, and then you just go from there. And then for us, once he got it down to the final five schools, then it just became, OK, which one feels like feels like the right place. And then you go through. You know, what we what we did as a family, we sat down and we listed the schools that he was most interested in. Yeah. And then we wrote down the pros and cons, what he liked about it, what he didn't like. Yeah. Then what I liked, what I didn't like, what my wife liked, what she didn't like. Yeah. And then we just kind of did it from there and saw what the consensus was. And then after we did like the the empirical data, for lack of a better term, yeah. then it came down to fill. Not sure how do you feel about this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, how, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So that's how that part happened. And then there's some extemporaneous stuff that happened around him making his decision that kind of led him to Carolina as well. Um, And we can, I guess we can talk about that later if you want to. Um, So then now what advice would I give to parents? All right. Um, The one thing that I would say to parents off the rip is that, Every recruit's experience with recruiting is unique. So you cannot take what happened with one recruit and apply it to yourself. Yeah. The reason why I say that is because your family's not the same and the recruit themselves recruits themselves are not the same. Mm. So what floats the boat of one recruit might not float the boat of your child. So you can't say, well, I'm going to take what Recruit X did and apply it to my kid, and then I'll make the same decision, and the results are going to be the same. So that's the first thing I would tell tell parents. Make sure you treat your child's recruitment as uniquely as possible because it is theirs and yours as a family. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing that I would tell them. Yeah. Um, The second thing I would tell them is to... Be very clear about what it is that your child and your family wants. And and what I tell them is you did not ask to be recruited. You didn't go to them and say, hey, recruit me, (laughs) at least not at least not directly anyway, (laughs) you know, indirectly. Yeah. Indirectly, you went out there and you played your butt off and people started recruiting you. But. But they came to you saying, hey, we want you for our program. Yeah. So don't be afraid to tell them what you want and yeah. why you want it. And I think and I think a lot of parents, they have like they want to show a degree of humility. So they don't want to sound like they're being demanding about anything. No, screw that. They came to you. So yeah. you tell them, hey, this is what we want. This is yeah. this is how we want it to be. So you want us to be a part of your program? This is what we want. And I, I mean, obviously, I now personally, I think there should be, you know, there should be a little bit of give and take on certain yeah. things. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And then then you have your own principles and stuff on what you stand. But generally speaking, tell people what you want and, and you tell them what you want and see if they want to meet your demands. And then you leave it at that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But but don't but don't treat the schools that are recruiting you as if you're recruiting them. You know what I'm saying? They're recruiting you. You're not recruiting them. Treat it as such. So all the at that point, at that point of the game, all the leverage is in your favor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And exploit that. And I know that sounds like a bad thing, but no. that's just the way it is. Yeah. And because people don't do that, that's why you see disgruntled players, the the transfer portal growing. The way that it's growing because the people and their families being recruited aren't telling schools, this is what I want. And one thing as a family that we did is like, hey, you know, 
this this is what we want. Tell us all we want is the truth. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So if you tell us if you tell us the truth, let us process it, and maybe we're okay with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you know, don't tell us what you think we want to hear. Tell us what it is. And and there are a couple of schools that I got to give a lot of credit for about that, you know, in yeah, yeah. not just recruiting. Yeah. Um, what else would I, what else would I tell? Um, what else would I tell parents? Another thing that I would tell parents is research the relationships of the schools and the other people they're recruiting in your class. Ah, yes, um, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think sometimes that we. Um, recruits get caught up in, you know, get caught up in the whirlwind of being a highly sought after recruit or, or going into a program where they think they can have a great amount of success and who they could potentially play with that they don't take the time to research the relationships between the coaching staff and the other recruits. Yes. The reason why this is very important is because when you get, if you commit to the program and you get into the program and you look at the dynamics relationship and it's, and there's a, there's an inequity in the dynamics of the relationship between your child and the other recruit, it can cause some kind of, you know, some, some consternation with regards to your feelings and stuff like that. So I think it's important to get yourself prepared for it early or know if it could potentially be a problem for the recruit and your family. So that is, and, and I don't know if people talk about that enough, but it's yeah. very, very important. Yeah. Um, because if there's something, if the relationship between a, another recruit and the coaching staff is broader and they're more engaged with each other, then that means there's going to be, there's going to be time, effort and energy taken away from your child and given to that recruit that has a deeper, more rooted relationship. And yeah. so it's something that you, you have to really, really think about. Um, outside of that, everything to, to me, this is just my opinion, but outside yeah. of that, everything else is just coincidental. There's little small things and little yeah. nuanced things about the program and what your child wants to do, so on and so forth. So, you know, yeah. th that's it. So that's, that's the advice I would give to kids, any to parents, anyone, anything else. I wouldn't go into specifics about programs yeah. because, again, every player's experience is unique. And, and I can't I can't give you what my experiences were for you to apply to your situation, because then if it doesn't work out, you know, then there'll be some resentment towards me. And I don't want that. On, I don't want that on my conscience. So <laughs> I, I'll leave that alone. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's some really good advice, man. And I think what you said about the the way that your kids actually being recruited is so. I even see a, a bit of it down here. We don't have a massive amount of recruitment, but it's like you're interviewing the schools to for their for their right to be able to have your your son or daughter come to the school. It's not it's not the other exactly. way around. So you, it's it's exactly. due diligence. Like if there's four other small forwards being recruited that year, then there's a chance your small forward son probably isn't going to play. Like, like this, right. <laughs> and it might it might sound simple to to you know people that know the process, but for for parents that aren't necessarily they maybe they haven't been through they haven't played basketball they haven't been part of the basketball community before. It's sometimes tough to understand that maybe you don't understand positions or how the recruiting works, but for me and the circle that that I'm sort of in, it's like getting advice, I think, from people that have done it before. And as you say, figuring out who else is going to be there, trying to grow those relationships with other parents. I mean, that that advice is gold. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Tell me tell me about about the University of North Carolina and, and what it was like uh, having Nasir attend the school. Oh, Absolutely. Now, for me, I, I kind of separate them because the dynamics of each one are, are very, very different. So there's the general experience of being at UNC, and then there's the basketball experience. Yeah. So two different, two different things. The experience of being at Carolina was something that very few people get to experience from a basketball perspective or having basketball as the thing that brings them to the school. So um, 
so that whole thing, based on the history of the program, um, just the success of the program, all of that stuff to be recruited by such a storied program was a validation of all the hard work that Nasir had put in. So I think um, him being offered by Carolina was almost like a culmination of like having an offer from this program lets me know that I've made it as a basketball player. Yeah. And he felt the same way when he got an offer from Duke. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. just there are certain programs that if you get an offer from these schools, you just you feel like you're a good basketball player. Yeah. You know, you just, yeah. you just do. Um, yeah. So that was awesome. His experience, the Carolina community is an awesome group of people. There are so many anecdotes I could tell you about our experiences in dealing with people from the community of UNC that it would make your head spin just how wonderful of a group of people these these relative strangers are, were, and have been for me and my family while he was while he was being recruited while he was there and since he's left. Um, Just I I can't say enough good things about that. Um, The basketball part was a little bit more of a challenge, but it was still good for Nasir. Yeah. And I think for him, because things had had come relatively easily for him, that um, he needed that challenge. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't fun at the time. You know, when sometimes things aren't necessarily great when you're going through them, but yeah. when you look when you look back on them in hindsight, you know, I say hindsight is 2020, then it kind of made him a stronger person to made him, to make him be able to deal with challenges and and still forge ahead. Yeah. So I think that was good for him. So um, for him, the basketball part, being around some of the people he was around on the team and being able to get exposed to different players of different levels of ability and skill kind of worked in his benefit and then dealing with the personalities of the coaching staff and how they dealt with him. So I think that worked out for him. Well, I think there would have, I think we get caught up in numbers and we, we want to see the big numbers. You know what I'm saying? That we don't look at some of the small details that tell more of the story, you know, with regards to Nasser as an individual basketball player. Yeah. Um, but that experience, I think it was, it was, it was a roller coaster ride because it was an up and down situation, but overall, I think it worked out for him. And I think that he showed his wares as a basketball player, as well as anyone could and handled them with an acumen and maturity that most people at his age could not handle or would not have been able to handle at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. The, um, Talking about that that validation, I think around getting that offer, I think it's it's awesome to hear that. And obviously, he went on to play in the NBA. But being able to, even if you you have the goal to you know to play in the NBA, to be an all star, all that kind of stuff, to be happy about each step and say, hey, look, let's yeah, we've got a goal of going to, of playing in the NBA, but let's celebrate this for what it is, which is getting great offers from great basketball schools like that. I, I love hearing that. So Nasir was drafted in the first round uh, by a great organization in the Portland, in the Portland Trailblazers. Um, how did you find the draft process? Oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> One of the most gut-wrenching processes that there is in the world. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Damn. <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that is because there are some things about the draft process that are chalk, yeah. but there's so much unknown surrounding the draft process <laughs> that if I had hair, I would have been pulling it out. <laughs> <It's so good. laughs> and, and, and I'm not the person who was being, you know, potentially drafted. being drafted. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, and, And the one thing I think people don't realize that it is a process. Yes. And there is a large portion of the process that has absolutely nothing to do with basketball. You can't control (laughs) it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think everybody only looks, everybody thinks that it's solely about basketball. Yeah. But it's not. There are so many non-basketball related things that are elements of the draft process that people don't take time to think about. And, and I think those are just as important as the basketball part. So you have to manage not only the basketball part through workouts and diet and discipline and all that good stuff like that. But then there's also um, your what your reputation is, yes. um, what people say about you, how people view you as a player. And not so much as a player on the court, but as a player from a personal perspective. You know, yes. what type of person is he? What's his background? What's his family's background? Yes. Who does he communicate with on a regular basis? You know, and yeah. then it goes into, okay, what what do those people then do? You know, and and they all that stuff comes into play, you know. Yeah. And it impacts where you're drafted and you know, in some instances because there are great players that went undrafted. Yeah. Or there are great players who went way, way lower than they probably should have based on their ability. You yeah. know, so all this stuff comes into play and 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 you, and you have to manage all of that. Yeah. Then once, you know, once you start working through that part, then you start saying, okay, am I going to be invited to the draft? So once they start doing all this stuff, the logistics of getting, of actually conducting the draft, it happens at warp speed. Like yeah. you get information and you have to, and it becomes an actionable item within three days. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's like all this stuff you got to do and all these rules and you have to be here at this time. You have to be there at that time. And it's like all this event, everything is tightly managed and controlled. Wow. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a process. And then when it gets to the night of the draft, it's a production. It's a based way before anybody sees anything. It's, it's, it, it's, it's mind blowing. It's yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. And it doesn't let up until you hear your name called. Yeah. So for us to have to sit there and wait after being projected as a potential top 10 pick and yes. then having to wait until the 25th pick. But it's like as every pick goes by, you're like, oh, snap. Oh, this is not going to happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, then, so then when you hear your name called and you're just like, uh, then, then you feel a, you feel like this relief. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. You, know, you feel this relief. And for him to and, you know. And my thing is, and again, I don't want to sound like a religious zealot or anything like that, yeah. but it's like you, you, your first thought is like, man, what happened? You know, why this, why that? But then you can't argue with God's placement because yeah. you end up where divinely you're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And you may not see it. You may not see it at the time, but yeah. it's eventually going to come to fruition why you ended up where you are. Yeah. And, and and we're just in the process still right now of finding his purpose for being why he is where he is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know, the, you see it with, with a lot of kids when you're looking at, you know, lottery projections, um, first round, second round, that sometimes you might go in the top 10 or the top 15 and you look that, you might end up with more money at the start or, or whatever whatever it is. But your role, uh, where the organization is at in terms of are they contending for the playoffs? Are they about to fire their coach? Are they about to fire their GM? So many other things go into it that at the end of the day, you could be like, I got drafted seventh and it didn't work out and I was out of the league after a year or two. So many different things don't work out. And, and yeah, it'd be great to say I, you were a top 10 pick, but there's so many other things that are more important about being at a stable organization, like like being at a stable organization with great leaders and um, great mentors and, and all that sort of stuff. And you know what I've learned too is that people who know basketball, can, they yeah, they look at the raw numbers, but they understand everything that goes on around the numbers. Yeah. You know, and they say, yeah, this this person here is going to be good to go or, you know, or whatever it may be. So people know, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People people know and people understand. Um, so how how has it been for Nasir learning from from some of the best players in the league on, on the tra Portland Trailblazers and including a guy like Damian Lillard? You've got people there like obviously Carmelo Anthony, CJ McCollum. You've, you've got people that have 
not just been there, done that in terms of accomplishments, but have either come from small programs or they've done four years at, at, at college. Um, you know, they've been guys that were counted out. And there's so many different stories and and great vets that are part of that team. How has it been from Nazir to how has it been for him to learn from from that caliber of not just on the court, but that caliber of person off the court as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, for him, it's more of an instance where, um, if, at least I'll, I'll say from a perspective from what, now this is just from talking to Nasir yeah. and what he tells me, so what it relates to me. But it's a lot of it is not so much as direct, directly, hey, you should do this, you'll be yeah. successful. Hey, yeah. do this. It's, it's not an A, do A, B will be the result. It's more of a thing where they will say certain things and give certain jewels from a basketball perspective, but yeah. then they show it and by by being an example. Yes. So you look at you look at the um, you look at the you know their work ethic when they're how they prepare, you know how and and really learning how to be a professional. Yeah. Um, with Nasir, this is I mean playing basketball is the only job he's ever had in his life. Yeah. His first job just happened to pay him two and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's the only job he's ever had. So he has to learn how to be a professional while being a professional. And I think the biggest thing that they've done is teach him how to be a professional, how to keep your body right, how to prepare for the, for the rigors of an NBA schedule with, with regards to the travel and all that stuff like that. Yeah. But the one thing that they do is that soft, that metaphorical soft hand to a young player when you're doing well, encouraging you, say, I'll oh, keep it up. Oh, you did this. When you're struggling, being relatable by saying, hey, don't don't let this deter you. you yeah. You're here because you deserve to be here. Yeah. I had these struggles and relating what Nasir is going through at the time to how they went through it and say, this is when I went through this and look at where I am now. You're yeah. going to be here. It just, it's just not your time right now, but your time is coming. So it's those little small things to keep him motivated, keep him going, keep his, excuse me, keep his confidence up, so on and so forth. And, and that's where it becomes more important. And those are the things that mean the most to him or has meant the most to him. Now he's gotten some on-court stuff, um, some on-court jewels from Carmelo, how to, like how to find your spots, how to set up your shot, how to get into your shot, stuff like that. But those are things that you're going to learn through repetition. But it's those small things um, to that are outside of the mechanics of basketball, and just more so like the things that keep you going personally through motivation and encouragement. And um and when you're down, picking you up. So th those have been the most important things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That and that leading by example. I, I mean, there's yeah, there's countless guys on the on that Portland Trailblazers roster that I assume for the younger guys, you come in and you get to the um to the arena or you get to the practice facility, and you know you'd have guys there that have been there for hours, or and you're just learning. You're learning the way that they set up, the way that they um, prepare their bag or the, how they work out all these things are things that you see day in day out that you can right. yourself. right yeah yeah and they're not jerks and i think that alone they're not jerks yeah. and not being jerks to young players means all the difference in the world to them so yeah yeah i'm glad that that's changed in a lot of organizations because i don't i don't see how coming in and treating a rookie like shit i don't see how that helps anyone <laughs> <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um so so nazir was drafted in a year which was which was pretty tough like um you know when you look at at um the injuries on the roster um obviously covid um there was the bubble there were obviously things happening in the united states at the time you know in terms of the the social unrest man there was a lot there was a lot happening there and a lot going on. How was that for him and how did that help him um, grow and, and then move into his second year? Because you were he was navigating things that probably never happen again in an NBA season. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, for sure. Um, I think for him, I think with Nasir, his his worldview is different than a lot of other people. Um, at a very young age, he had already traveled to many different countries. So he, he'd experienced, he, he had had an international experience. So um, because he had that, I think he was kind of a little bit more, a little better equipped to kind of internalize and process some of the things that were happening at the time. So while they were heavy in regards to, you know, what they meant to the world and the impact that they were having in the world, I think he was able to process those things a, a little bit um, more easily than, than maybe some other people would have. And then you pair that with my and my wife's outlook in the world and the things that we instilled in our children. Yeah. So, you know, our family background played a big role into how he dealt with those things as well. Yeah. Now for the things that impacted him directly, like the injuries and then eventually catching COVID going into the, going into his second season. Now, yeah. those things were things that I don't think any, anyone could have necessarily prepared for, yeah. but once they happen that you just kind of, you kind of go through and I don't, and not in a, not in a lackadaisical way, but you kind of go through the motions a little bit to do yeah. the things that you believe are going to help make the situation better. Yes. So, you know, you know, following rules and listening to the best way to deal with certain things. And you just, and essentially you just deal with them the best way that you can. Yeah. Um, so that's on the things that, that are more direct um, with the social unrest in the country. I think the perspective of Nasir and a large number of players in the league, it's, it hits a little bit different yeah. um, because um, I'm trying to find a way to say this, to, to make it not sound like I'm grandstanding or, yeah. or being some sort of social activist or anything like that. But yeah. I, I don't think it's a stretch or anything that anyone could disagree with that the racial history in our country, it's... It hasn't been, it hasn't always been the best for black people yes. or people who are of African descent. It just, it, it hasn't been. Yeah. And I don't think that's an arguable or controversial point to make. Mm. Um, but for all of the advances that we made in that part of our social settings in the United States, we still have, a, we still have a long way to go. And there are some residual effects of the racial history in our country that kind of, you know, kind of makes things a little bit hard for black people in general. Yeah. And, um, and again, as a person who's traveled around the world, you know, I've been in over a hundred different countries yeah. and, and there, and there is an anti black sentiment in a lot of places that I've been. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times, for whatever reason, I think, you know, just as from my experience, and, and I believe this based on my experience, but I just kind of feel like in some instances that that black people, regardless of where they're from or what their descent is, are some of the most maligned people in the world wherever you go. So there's that pressure that you deal with that a lot of people just can't understand. Yes. And because they can't understand it, because it never happened to them. Yeah. It's easy for them to dismiss it, yes. you know, yeah. and they don't they don't even try to find a way to say, well, you know, what is this person going through? And, yeah. and, and, and like I look at it from perspective, like there are people who are of different sexual orientations. I'm, I'm not that way, but I understand that there there are hardships that they go through that I could never understand. Yeah. But I try to empathize with them and try to be the best best person that I can be to yeah. make sure that I can ease whatever like if there's something that they that they tend to experience, if I can do anything to help lessen their experiences in those things, then that's what I try to do. Yeah. So that perspective is that are the things that we taught our children to yeah. be a good human being. 
And if you can be the best human being you can be, then everything else will be okay. And we'll work our way through the rest of the bullshit, you know? So that's the approach that we take. And that's the approach that he has taken. So he does certain things, you know, on a micro level to help alleviate certain things from a social perspective for as much as he can. He impacts what he can, where he can, and to the degree that he can, and then he goes from there. Yeah. Wow. That that last bit's blown me away. I've I've man, yeah. I'm so um thankful for you sharing that. And I think down here in New Zealand, like we might see this sort of stuff on TV, but when you when you look at when you when you're getting it firsthand, you know, when when someone you know you're coming on my podcast and sharing it firsthand, it it really hits home, you know. Um, so I appreciate yeah. you sharing that, and it's good to lead on from there. Um it's great to see that that Nazir and the, and the family have a uh, foundation that gives back to the community. Um, obviously from what you just shared that, you know, community is really important to you and your family and the, the values that you've instilled in your son, um, you know, coming through and, and not just how he, how he plays and how he interacts on the basketball court, but in the community. Uh, tell me a bit about that and, and how important it is to, um, to give back for, for you and your family. Oh, my pleasure to do so. So um, I started a nonprofit called the Nasir S. Little Youth Foundation. And the, the core reasoning behind that is that we believe as a family that when you reach a certain level of success in things that can be seen as being monumental, it never happens, and pardon the pun, but it never happens in a bubble. Yeah. There are so many people that pour into you as an individual and as your family. And the people who tend to pour into you are people from your own community. It could be something as simple as coming to support you at a basketball game or making a donation to your organization for which you play travel basketball or whatever it is that you do. If you're a Girl Scout, buying Girl Scout cookies from you or, you know, if you're on the high school football team, buying your your discount coupons that you sell every year to raise money for your program, whatever it is, there are a number of people who may know you personally or just be a part of your community, but they pour into you that that leads to your success in whatever it is that you've chosen to undertake. And because we believe that Nasir's success isn't only because of him, but there are so many people that supported him and our family through his entire journey and and him being able to reap the rewards of that support that we've gotten from those people, we just want to pay it for it and pay it back. Yeah. And so he started the community, to, he started the organization to say, there are people in the community who have just as much talent in whatever it is that they do, but they just need that little bit of push to get them to the next level. And unfortunately, to get to that next level, it costs money. (laughs) And whether it be direct money or through equipment or whatever it may be. So because he has this platform, he wants to take any money that he can, that he raises through his organization, take that money and give it to to some of the people who need it the most in the community so they can get to the next level and then they too can come back and pay it for it. And then the more people that we pour into, the more successful they become, they're going to come back and then we can do even more and make it all grow exponentially. So that's the root of it. Um, So what it does is, is that we take applications from a school here in Clay County where he spent his first two years of high school and then a school down in Orange County where he spent his last two years of high school. And we look at students who may have a financial need for performing arts, academics, and athletics. So if you need, if you're a musician and you need an instrument because you're only using the school instrument, but you want to practice and play at home, you apply, we'll pay for your instrument. If you're an artist, you know, a visual artist, and you need a high-level computer to do your graphics, we'll pay for it and we'll buy you that expensive laptop that you're asking for and we'll give it to you so you can grow your skills and develop your skills. 
And that's what it is we give these grants and scholarships for programs and equipment. And this past year, we gave out, um, it was very small because it was the inaugural year, but we did 10 grants of almost 20K, almost 20,000 US dollars. Wow. And, and we gave like a, one of the students asked for uh, the highest level MacBook and an iPod, excuse me, not an iPod, but an iPad, and she got it. You know, one of the students wanted a trumpet and music lessons to go with it. So he, he brought him a nice B-flat trumpet and um, and paid for him to get lessons from a, a well-renowned um, trumpeter down in Central Florida and so on and so forth. So yeah. doing those things. And, and it's going to grow this year because our impressions that we had on social media after the winners were announced, yeah. man, we went from... 50 views to 9,000 views. Oh, wow. So we know we're going to, yeah. So we know we're going to get more yeah. applications this year and yeah. which is what we want to be able to pour into other students so that they can be successful, successful in the things that they're passionate about. And that's the premise of the organization. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome, man. And I think using what, what's been awesome, uh, I feel over the last year or two is, is seeing NBA players and their families and friends using their platform and, and using, you know, obviously they, they get paid well on that. You'd be using lots of parts of, of them being in the NBA to better their communities. You know, talk about people like Jalen Brown and people like Damian Lillard. These people aren't, they, they, they're educating themselves on not just what we talked about, you know, the, the, the racial issues, but, what is actually needed in in the United States to to better their communities and going in there and using their platform and um and you know some people maybe it's music but for people that are actually delving deep into the issues in their community they're making a massive difference and these kids are young you know you're talking 20 21 22 23 yeah, but exactly. they're so educated like like how that's been one part that I've loved over the last year or two have you have you is that something you've seen as well Oh, most, most definitely. And yeah. I think, I think like we tend like for people in my generation, like 50 years old and older, I think that we tend to think that we have the market on being the best cornered, yeah. but there are so many things that we're closed minded about in our, from our generation that these young people, man, they are crushing us with regards to the way they view community and the role that community has in individual success. Yeah. And they're so much more aware of the world than we ever were at their ages. And, you know, one, from an academic perspective, I, you know, I think when I was in grad school, one of the things that I used to say of like, say about things being the way that they were or why, you know, why are we seeing all these things happen in the world is because, the world has gotten, you know, metaphorically smaller due to the proliferation of the internet. Because yeah. now you can communicate within seconds to someone who's on the opposite end of the world. Like we you know, at any point in time, <laughs> like we're doing now, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're you're across the international date line and you know, we're here just talking as if we're, you know, in a yeah. room together. Yeah. So, you know, you have all these things and because we have this exposure and access to one another and all these different parts of the world, it's it's no longer like if something happened in New Zealand today, I wouldn't find out about it until either later this week or possibly next week. But now if something happens in New Zealand, I can find out about it within in hours, if not minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, people don't have to travel travel as much as they used to in the past. And now we can experience the world from the comfort of our home cities or from our home, you know? And I think that's why these kids are so much, you know, more greatly aware of the world and people in the world. And they go out and they act like they know what's going on in the world. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge, man, yeah. And then like such a great, um, yeah, such a great topic to finish on is the, just the the youth the youth movement in, in the NBA is changing changing on the court you know in terms of like 
the pace of the game and the, and the IQ, but then also these these kids using their their smarts and and their worldliness to to embrace technology and and, and make the world a better place. Um, Indeed. Yeah, I I really appreciate you coming on, Harold. You've um, dropped some absolute dimes for for my listeners around oh, <laughs> around so many different things, and um, yeah, I, I appreciate you, and and I really look forward to to tracking Nazir and and seeing how he's gone. Like he's really improved from his first season to his second season. And I, I think one of the things I love about the NBA is that guys that have those second, third, fourth year jumps is that some people were like, wow, I didn't expect that. But when you see the work ethic a little bit closer around some of these kids, there's no surprises. There's like yeah, someone doesn't just go from, from seven points a game to 15 points a game by <laughs> sitting around playing 2K you know, <laughs> um, you know th- these guys are, are, are like busting their ass in the gym to improve yeah. their game, to add, you know, shooting off the dribble or coming off pin downs or what, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to track his progress. I really appreciate you jumping on today and um, I hope you yeah, stay safe over there and uh, much love to you and your family. Hey, likewise, thank you. And I just want to tell you, um, I was in your country back in 2001. And wow. I got to tell you, man, you have a beautiful country. Um, I so was much. on a U.S. naval vessel and we stopped in um, in Sydney and Adelaide, Australia. And then we had a chance to go out to New Zealand as well. So beautiful country. I love it there. Oh, that's good, man. Where did you go? Did, was it Auckland or Wellington? Did you stop at? Yeah, Auckland. We were in Auckland. Auckland. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Man. That's great. Well, hopefully you can um you can come back one day and um yeah experience some more of New Zealand. It's my goal, as a matter of fact. It's my goal to come back there. Oh, that's good. That's that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time, Harold, and we'll talk again soon. All right, my pleasure. Take care and be safe. Cheers, my man. Likewise.